This morning we'll be reading Psalm 49 and then later a passage from Romans. Psalm 49. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases. For they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live they count themselves blessed and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them and will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. We're going to read from Romans 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the, for, the, uh, for the righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, 
but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks, Darren. The microphone is turned on now. Well, morning again, everybody. And I didn't introduce myself before, but um, if I haven't met you yet, uh, Paul Cooper is my name. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Most people call me Coops. Uh, feel free to, uh, to call me that as well. Um, why don't we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for gathering us around your word this morning. Father, we ask that you'd give us soft hearts as we listen to your message and the conviction to put it into practice. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, these 11 verses here in, in chapter 5, we, we've come to a passage that is all about certainty. It's all about this certain assurance of, of peace with God, being brought to peace with God. It's a real, real rock-solid sort of assurance. And uh, I was sort of reflecting on this as I was looking at these verses, and I'm not sure what your experience has been in your lives, but as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that outside of faith, I was struggling really to find that sort of certainty and assurance uh, in my life outside of faith, that rock solid, absolute uh, certainty. And I think it's pretty hard to get that type of assurance from anything else. I was thinking back to when I asked my wife Bronwyn to marry me. I flew from Brisbane, uh, from uh, Perth to Brisbane. She was in Brisbane at the time. And I took this midnight flight because it was cheap. And uh, overnight, you know, as we were flying, I was thinking about what would happen when I popped this question. I was pretty sure she'd say yes. But, um, and she did, so it worked out well. But, you know, was I 100% cast iron guaranteed certain? No, I couldn't say that I was. I was pretty sure, but not 100%. And then I was thinking through, you know, we'd been married about nine years and we were transferred by the company I was working for over to the United States. And they gave us this contract that described this role that I was going to uh, take on. I was really keen to do it. And it was all written down, and I did feel quite sure about what we were going to, except when we got there, my new manager sat me down and he said, actually, it's a different role now. Um, actually, it's that role that we offered you a little while back, but you said no to. But once you're on the other side of the world with all your family, it's a bit difficult to do much about that, isn't it? Which sounds really bad. It turned out all right in the end, but it shows. Couldn't really be certain about what I was heading into. And then much more significantly than that, and much more personally, you know, I thought back to last November when my father-in-law, he just passed away suddenly one morning. You know, and we all thought that he'd be around for years, you know, many more years. It occurred to me, very hard to be certain about most things in life. But these first 11 verses in chapter 5 here of Romans, they tell us what we can be absolutely certain about and they describe this absolute certain assurance of being brought to peace with God it's just such an important anchor for us to have you know any any part of our lives might be subject to change at any point but this certainty of peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that will never change this is a certain assurance of peace with God and so we're going to look at this certain assurance of peace with God in three parts. Firstly, we boast in hope. 
Secondly, God's love in Christ's death. And then finally, we'll look at we're saved to life. So three points. We boast in hope, God's love in Christ's death, and we're saved to life. So firstly, we boast in hope. So what is this hope that we're boasting in? Well, verse 2 tells us there. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to Romans, he wrote there in verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what does hoping in the glory of God actually mean? Well, it's boasting in the confidence of being brought to God. It's knowing that we'll be restored from what was lost because of sin. What was lost because we turned away from our creator. It's, it's this confidence of, of finally being completed the way God intended us to be. And the thing is, you, you can't have peace with someone who's angry, can you? That's the opposite of peace. But trusting Jesus crucified, well, that means that God's anger at turning away from him has been totally dealt with. See, through faith in Jesus, we are justified before God and guilt is dealt with. Jesus paid all that for us. And so through faith in him, we're declared right with God and we have peace with our God. And it's a confident boast, as I've been saying, because it's all past tense. I wondered if you noticed that as we went through in verse 1. It's past tense. Verse 1 there says, since we have been justified through faith. See, it's all done. And it's an amazing thing. Of, Of all the people you could be against, you don't want to be in conflict with the creator of the universe. But that's what humans did. Put us at odds with God. And yet, it's the offended party here. It's God who put it right. That's why we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There's this amazing thing that's being done that we know is certain. That through faith, God's already made us right with God. Jesus has already made us right with God. But verse 3 is a little bit odd, don't you think? Because it goes on there in verse 3 to say, we also glory in our sufferings. And the word that's used there for glory, it has the same meaning as boast. So we could say, we also boast in our suffering. So what's going on with that? Earlier, we read that we boast in the certainty of being at peace with God and everything that that means. That's fair enough. I think that makes sense. But why boast when we suffer? You probably remember um, quite a while back, do you remember I tore my calf muscle and I was hobbling around for a while on on crutches? But I wasn't boasting about it. I didn't sort of limp around and come up and say, look at my torn muscle, I bet you wished you had one. Because that would be weird. So what's going on here with verse 3? Well, we glory or we boast in our sufferings because it's through that that our hope of the glory of God is deepened. Our conviction, our conviction in it is strengthened. And I want to explain um, how I've seen this happen recently. And, and personally, Bron gave me, my wife, Bronwyn, given me permission to share this story. But I talked about earlier Bron's dad passing away suddenly in November. And when that happened, she was shattered. 
And those first few days, I, I couldn't see how she was going to be put back together again. You know, it was like she just lost a part of her body. She couldn't function. She was just gutted. But the days went by and I saw her lean on scripture that she knew. And she drew strength in what she knew about God. And in time, she went back and she opened up her Bible and she read the word and she prayed. And I saw these things here in verses 3 and 4. I saw her faith persevere. Saw her character grow. She was enduring this pain and she was doing it with God's help. And I saw her as she felt that her faith was validated. And I saw her hope again in the certainty of the glory of God. But stronger this time. Ready for the next trial. Or more ready, let's say, because there'll be more. See, in that time, Bron knew God's love in her heart through the Holy Spirit that had been given to her already. And she felt it. And now as she looks back on that experience, she knows it. But that is something to boast about. Not about ourselves, but to speak about what God's done. That's something to boast in. And so good times or hard times, this hope that the passage is talking about, that doesn't change. In hard times, it's validated and it's strengthened. And through it all, it is certain. And this hope that these passages are talking about, there in verse 5, it says, hope does not put us to shame. See, it's a certain hope. We know it's certain. And so... We, it does not bring shame to us. You know, something might bring shame if it fails. Uh, like the time we lived in Perth. It was my birthday, so we invited all of our extended family over to go to our favourite restaurant for, uh, you know, for a birthday celebration without a reservation. And we just hoped they'd have room for eight of us, which they didn't. And as we all stood out there in the car park, it was a bit awkward. And a bit shameful. It was a dumb hope that was, wasn't it? Hoping this great restaurant on a Saturday night would have eight spare seats. If I hope in vain and in something that never happens, yeah, that might be a hope I feel shame about. But this hope in being brought to the glory of God, that will never bring shame because it's certain. It's not an irrational hope. It's not like me hoping that I'll win lotto next week and it will solve all my problems. It's not like me hoping that the next time I cook tuna mornay, I'll have learnt how to cook and my family will enjoy it. Did you know you need to sauté the onions before you put it in the mornay? Who knew? It's not like that. The hope of the glory of God is a certain hope. And everything that's needed for that has been done already. That is the fact. Jesus did die And he did rise again and he brings us peace with God through faith. It's already done. And I know there are times that we might ask ourselves, how do I really know that? How do I really feel it and be sure? But if you seek God, if you have an interest in his word, then you know. God's word has been, God's 
love has been poured out by the Holy Spirit into your heart. You can believe that and be reassured. Because people who aren't stirred by the Spirit have no interest in those things. And so boast in the hope of the glory of God. Never put to shame because it's all done. Giving us this certain hope of being brought to the glory of God. That's our first point. We boast in hope. Now I'd like us to consider God's love in Christ's death because that too provides us with certainty. God's love in Christ's death. And verses 6 to 8 in this set of passages say this. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the argument that's been put forward here is fairly straightforward. Rarely would somebody give up their life for a righteous person, you know, a just and an upright person. Maybe someone that you've had business dealings with, for example, or someone that you've got respect for. You might see them as a righteous person. If you remember back, um, I talked about going to the U.S., for that job that I never wanted to do. Uh, while I was there, a couple of days, there was a couple of days taken where our office went out and we volunteered for Habitat for Humanity. It's that organisation that builds really cheap housing for people, for the underprivileged. And the two guys that we dealt with there, they were really ethical, upright guys. You could see it. But would I have laid down my life for them? Probably not. Rarely would someone give their life for someone like that, says verse 7. But for a good person, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Well, for us to think or to know that somebody is good, we need some sort of relationship with them, don't we? Maybe you'd lay down your life for a family member or a friend. And in fact, this person here, Private Henry Girk, that's exactly what he did. Henry was in the US Marine Corps in the Solomon Islands in the Second World War. He was in a foxhole with another guy who was on a machine gun in the middle of some fierce action and an enemy grenade was thrown into his foxhole and he covered it with his own body to protect his friend. And his friend lived and Henry died. Henry did dare to die for a good person. Died for his friend. Paid the ultimate price. What if Henry had been surrounded by the enemy, but he was on his own? Would he have thrown himself on the grenade in that case to protect the enemy? Like He wouldn't have done that, would he? None of us would do that. What we would die for has limits. It doesn't make sense to die for your enemies. Not to us. But God's love is exceptional. Because that is what Christ did. Christ did exactly that. While we were still rejecting him and still his enemies, that's when God the Son died for us. And you can't argue that uh, Private Girk, he must have loved his friend very much to do what he did. He must have. But then how much more does God love us 
who laid down his life for sinners. See, that is a love that is far greater than any human love we will ever know. Far greater. And what Jesus did was not a courageous, instantaneous decision. If it was, it would still be extraordinary, wouldn't it? But it was planned. Did you notice there at the beginning of verse 6? He did it at just the right time. So just the right time. Well, that means it was intentional. It was planned all along with full knowledge of what it meant and all its consequences. So to go back to the Second World War illustration, imagine you're enlisting for the Second World War in the full knowledge that you're going to give your life to save your enemy. Would you enlist? Well, I don't think I would. But Christ died for us while we were sinners. Past tense. Can't be undone. Can't be taken away. It's an extraordinary love. Far greater than any love that we could possibly experience in any other way. And so at this point, as we talk through this, I just I would like us to realize that there's two aspects that we've just explored. This this knowledge of God's unimaginable love in this historical act of Christ's death. God's unimaginable love in this historical act of Christ's death. And then that love felt because it's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Two aspects of one great love that provide this certain assurance of our peace with God. And so with that in our minds, let's turn our attention now to our final point, which is we are saved into life. And it's in these final verses that we read more about this certain future because of what's been done in the past. That what's already been done gives us this certain assurance of peace with God and as a consequence of being saved into life. The fulfillment of our hope. And here in verse 9, the Apostle Paul, he writes... Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And so I wonder here, did you notice, this is now in the future tense. How much more shall we be saved? Paul's now pointing us to the future, to the day of judgment. The day when God judges the guilty who he is rightly angry with. But those who are justified are no longer guilty in God's eyes. And being justified before God means being made right with him because of Jesus. And he explains it further in verse 10 where he says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, Jesus' death reconciled sinners, reconciles God's enemies to God, Through faith, he justifies us and God's anger has been dealt with. And Jesus' death did both of those things on our behalf. We are reconciled, past tense, and it means sin has been dealt with. Death no longer has a hold over those who have been reconciled to God. They're sinless in God's eyes. And the resurrection of Jesus to new life proves it. It proves it and it demonstrates that those who are reconciled to God, they will follow Jesus into new life as well. 
because of what's happened in the past, we're certain we'll be raised to new life in the future. Which is why Paul writes there in verse 10, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We are certain that we will. And so as verse 11 here says, with that certainty, yes, we boast in God in the hope of his glory. Certain that through the reconciliation brought through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be brought to new life. There is no greater hope and no greater certainty than that in this world. So if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then I want to suggest these verses remind us of a bunch of things, but there's at least three. What Jesus has done to bring us to peace with God. He has brought us to peace with our Creator. His great love. And it is great. It is known by us. It's experienced by us. And the sure hope that the peace he's brought will lead us to new life. That sure hope. We can take that to the bank. That hope. Hope is so powerful. That hope is a sure one. And these few verses, they they point us to these things that are done that cannot be undone. It is a certain hope. We believe it. We reflect on it. We boast in it. And if you don't yet know Jesus personally, can I say that he brings a certainty that you will never find anywhere else. Anything that you boast in, any other thing that you hope in, at some point it is likely it will disappoint or it will let you down. You may have already experienced that. But Jesus never will. And you will never know love the way Jesus loves you. And you will only ever find life through him. So ask the person that you came with or come and talk to me about it after the service. But be reconciled with your creator, with God. That's the offer that Jesus is holding out to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great hope that you've given us. The certainty of reconciliation and the new life because of what Jesus has already done. Father, we ask you to help us to boast in that certainty to ourselves and to others, not in a proud way, but thankfully because of your great love for us. And Father, we pray that many who do not have this certain hope might hear your words this morning and be transformed by them and brought to new life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.